the words we speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So Jesus has entered Jerusalem and it's nearly over. It's no longer a matter of if, but when and how will it unfold. A few verses earlier from what we heard today, Luke says the religious scholars and high priests wanted to lynch him, Jesus, but they were intimidated by public opinion. They knew the story that Jesus had just told was about them. So watching for a chance to get him, they sent spies who posed as honest inquirers, hoping to trick him into saying something that would get him into trouble with the law. And so some Pharisees, Sadducees came and had a go with a tricky question about resurrection. This is not an honest question. This is a trick question, hoping that he will say something that will get him into trouble with the crowd and the law. So that tricky question about resurrection is about seven brothers and one woman who fails to produce an heir and marriage in the afterlife. So a couple of observations. The first is that the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in the afterlife. They are religious conservatives. And there is nothing in the book of Moses that supports, they think, any idea of resurrection or life after death. This is a newfangled idea that comes from the Persians or the Greeks and is not Jewish. Well, where does this idea of resurrection come from? Well, it comes from the origins, probably from the, from the Persians, from the time of the exile, and then certainly after Alexander the Great and the uh, Seleucids and their reign of terror over that area. And, well, a fundamental problem arose, really, because in, in the prophets, there's an ongoing description of how God's justice will prevail, but, well, during the exile and during the time of the Sadducees and then time of the Romans, it seemed to a lot of people that God's justice wasn't prevailing, that the baddies were winning. So when does God's justice prevail? When is all this stuff in the prophets ever going to come true? And, well, at the end of the age, at the time of the resurrection, when God reboots it all, then, then will God's justice prevail. So that's the first thing to note, that there are a lot of people who like the idea of a resurrection, but there are a number of people, powerful people, people in influence or influential positions who don't want to borrow it. It has nothing to do with how they understand Judaism functioning. Which brings us to the second observation. One of the pictures could be up here actually, I'm pretty sure. The second observation is that the system is very patriarchal, isn't it? So it's all about preserving the name of the man. If there is no afterlife, how does your name live on? Well, how do you live on? Well, you live on through your sons, not your children, your sons. And so it's important that you have 
a son, and that's especially important if you are the oldest, the eldest, because the land is transferred through the line of the oldest son. So the oldest son needs to have a son. But it's also important just so that your lineage, your name, your heritage is continued. I'm reading a book at the moment, uh, a gruesome book, uh, written by, uh, when he wrote the book, the chief rabbi of Israel. And it's talking about his experiences during the Holocaust, growing up as a young Polish Jew. Uh, and so chapter 2 or 3 of the book is talking about his whakapapa, his lineage, his genealogy on both sides of his family. Uh, 30 generations back had been rabbis and before his father was taken away, him making his, this boy's older brother promise that he would keep the two of them alive so that that heritage would continue through the sons. That was of the utmost importance. And it just keeps coming up again and again, the importance of staying alive and keeping that lineage. 30 generations of rabbis, some of the notable rabbis on both sides of the family, all rested on those two boys. So, having a male heir is important. So this law within the Mosaic law was all about that, keeping that male heir. And the woman doesn't get a say in that. She is just simply the vehicle by which that happens. But the law, which seems very patriarchal, also protects her. So if she were to die, if her husband were to die and leave her childless, she's in an incredibly vulnerable position. She can't go back to her own family. They don't want her. The husband's family don't want her. She's just another mouth to feed. Why would anyone want her? So she is then destitute. But if the next brother marries her, then she, her place is secure within her husband's family. She has a place to live. She, life might not be very pleasant, but at least she has somewhere to live she has food, she has clothing. So she is protected by that law as well. So the system is very patriarchal, but there are some positives. So back to, uh, we can have the next picture. Mm, can you read it? So now this one woman has married each of the seven brothers. Who will she be married to in heaven? And Jesus responds, think spirit. Think spirit man, spirit of law, truth, your spirit. Spirit doesn't have marriages. It is marriage besides. Hasn't she suffered enough? You can go on to the next one. So a resurrection was a contentious issue. Not everyone agreed with it, and there was a lot of discussion about what it even meant. It's a lot less contentious today. In the creeds, we say we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We talk about resurrection a lot at funerals, when we do funerals. There's this kind of sense of resurrection around in general 
ideas, even those who don't go anywhere near a church. But are we all talking about the same thing? Like we use the words, but what do we mean by resurrection? We assume that what we're talking about is what Jesus was talking about. Uh, so the other thing to note was that Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes all did believe in resurrection. Which is why the scribe in the story then said, You have spoken well, Master. The scribe in the story had just been one of those people posing a tricky question, trying to trap Jesus so that they would get into trouble with the crowd and the law. So like, he's not an honest inquirer in that story as well. But on the issue of resurrection, the Pharisees were in the same boat as Jesus. And there was this massive divide between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So we keep thinking that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are essentially the same group of people. They're not. They're an entirely different group of people who read Moses and the law and the prophets in a very different way. So in terms of the tenets of religion, they are in entirely different camps. The Pharisees are the reformers. So, so on that point, they support Jesus. But when we talk about resurrection, are we talking about the same thing that they're talking about? That's a very good question. We assume we are. I'm not entirely sure. So what is it that we mean when we talk about resurrection? And what difference does it make to how we live our lives? That's the question. Well, I invite you to turn around and talk to your neighbour and at least find out from one another. What do you mean by resurrection? When you say those words in the creed, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. What do you mean by that? What are you, what's going on in your head? And what difference does that make to how you live your life? Just turn around, have a conversation for a few minutes.
two different things, afterlife and resurrection. So thank you, Noel. So, what about others? What were you talking about? So when you die, you go to heaven? Right, but you're spiritual. Okay. So that would be the first difference between what the Pharisees and Jesus were talking about and what we're, and Paul and what we're talking about. So when for them, when you died, you died. And you went into Sheol. Sheol was the grave. So it wasn't a bad place. It was just everyone goes in the grave. And then on the day of resurrection, the last day, all are raised or some are raised. So on today's reading, in fact, only some, not all, if you were deemed worthy enough to be raised. And up to that point, nothing. Or, or the Greek idea of Hades had come in. So you will find in the Gospels them talking about Hades, which we often think is hell. It's not. It's just simply the Greek idea of where the spirit goes. But that's a new idea. That's a Greek idea. Because you've got to have a difference between the body and the spirit to have that idea. And for traditional Judaism, 
There is no separation of body and spirit. The two are bound together. So the day of the resurrection isn't just about the spirit. The day of the resurrection is actually about the body as well. So that's, that's, that's a difference. And in fact, Paul's writings is against the idea that Anne talked about. He's vehemently against that. He pummels the idea of the physical resurrection. So when he's talking about resurrection, he's talking against that. He's talking about on the last day there will be a physical resurrection. And that's the idea that Jesus would have had and the Pharisees would have had. So that is a different idea than what most of us carry about. But that's, that's the, I would say most people have that idea. That's exactly what the Gnostics want. We would say on that idea. Trevor. You're not the same, I believe, as the Spirit, but we can teach you about the new and you know, all our life. I'm very relaxed about it. Um, you know, I don't agonize about it. I just know it's here, and I've seen so many people um, die in a peaceful way. I'm sure that in So there's a kind of being relaxed about it. I mean, there's a sense that God is involved in all of this and whatever happens, God is involved and we can trust God. So that's, so who knows what happens after we die, really? But, but we can trust God. So that's the first thing. So that's the important thing. But our understanding of resurrection can also shape how we live our lives. So I remember when I was a curate in building, somebody telling me that I didn't need to worry about poverty and I didn't need to worry about the degradation of the planet and I didn't need to worry about social injustice and all those kind of things because none of it matters because when we die we go to heaven and that's what really matters. So heaven was the real place and this world is kind of a, a first step to getting there so this world doesn't really matter. Now, is that an attitude that Jesus would have agreed with? No, not for one minute. All the Pharisees, all Paul. And in fact, the importance for the resurrection for Paul was the physical resurrection was God's taking seriously this world. Whatever happens is worked out in this world. So it's not about heaven, it's actually about the restoration of this world. So, an entirely different attitude. And so one of the commentators I read uh, talked about God is a God of the living. So what is a God of the God and living and embodied faith in the here and now? How do we live out the promise of resurrection now in this place? How do we live out resurrection in this place? And so he named some of the issues in one of the podcasts I listened to named a few of the issues in America, but in this country there are some issues. And the question then is how does resurrection help us address those issues? Issues like on Tuesday of last week we remembered well we remembered Guy Fawkes, but we also those some of us remember Karihaka. 
in the day that the Ark and Stabaru invaded the peaceful village in Taranaki and all the terrible things that happened there. Rapes, land confiscation, illegal, illegal imprisonment for two years, uh, all of those kind of things which have now been acknowledged by the Crown. On uh, Thursday or Friday, the government parliament almost unanimously passed the Zero Carbon Bill, which is our country's way of the legal framework of addressing climate change. What does is, what is resurrection help us say to that issue? On Monday, uh, it's Armistice Day at the end of World War I. The war that then spawned a whole lot of different wars out of the agreements made in the Treaty of Versailles. So what does resurrection mean as we think about that? And on Thursday last week, I went, I mean, that's attached to that, I went and led uh, a service for the last reunion of the Malay vets. So it's been 60 years since they set sail, they're all in their kind of mid to late 80s now. Um, this is the last time they're going to gather. What does it say to them as they say goodbye to those friendships that have held them for the last 60 years? On Wednesday of this week, Parliament was going to vote on the end, end of life choice bill. What does what resurrection say to that? So there are lots of big issues happening in our country. What does resurrection help us make sense of that and help us have something to say to all of those? Because if it doesn't, then we have a disembodied faith. It just becomes something about getting into heaven. But in fact, if we read the Gospels, the whole thing was about how we address those issues. It was all about living out the faith in the God of the living, the living now. How do we live out an embodied faith on the basis of our resurrection? That's the issue. So I'll give you a minute to turn around and have a quick chat about that. You know, just a huge gambit of stuff. And then we'll say the creed, which has that, those magic lines in it. <laughs>